Brianna. I'm Sarah. And we are the, the Squad, Squad Ghouls. Just a couple of creepy gals that love creepy things. Like creepy coffee cups. The creepier, the better. The best. I like creepy shirts. Oh my gosh. I've got... <laughs> Okay, I've got so many horror and spooky t-shirts. I need to I, catch up with you. I have no, I, I have not a single normal t-shirt at all in my arsenal. They're all <laughs> small, small requests to um, spooky creators out there. I know Sarah is really going to disagree with me, but. Don't know. I know what you're going to say. And yes, I am going to disagree with you. Mm-hmm. Continue. I would like some more pink spooky shirts. <laughs> like pink with bats black bats or pink with like cute little black kitties on them or you're just shaking your head i am shaking my head (laughs) i mean i have a lot of black you got purple yeah okay i like purple i didn't say that i didn't i'm not ever i never discount purple hey i love you so much that i bought you the best pink shirt ever (laughs) that will be here next week oh yeah that's Can't how much wait. I love you. I bought you a pink yep. shirt. Yep. You you get the best shirts. Especially <laughs> the one that says that we like to do um, hood rat things with our friends. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> yes. That's my favorite. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I have a joke for you. I'm ready. When do ghosts eat breakfast? <gasps> when? In the morning. Ha, like I get M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. it. O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Spelling brought to you by Sarah. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> I have a joke. Okay. Um, so what did the ghost say to the psychiatrist? I don't know. What did he say? I used to be somebody. Ah! <laughs> funny oh man i love our bad jokes oh they're the best i hope that our listeners have as much fun with our bad jokes as we do i I feel like probably there's just a lot of eye rolling (laughs) which is 100 (laughs) acceptable hey but you know what if you have a better joke to tell oh send them you should send them and we will read them we 100 yes well and we'll even give you credit yeah we'll say sent to us by so and, and then, so yeah so please we we would love any interaction with our fans yeah or we're, listeners excuse me fans listeners <laughs> yeah we're um we're actually super ordinary people mm-hmm. <laughs> um and we just i mean sometimes i'm a little bougie well okay all the time <laughs> i was like sometimes hey you're there with me <laughs> i I'm still trying to get on your level. I'm trying to get on your level. Uh-uh. Okay, you guys, she's saying that I need to get on her level, but this lovely person sitting next to me has a wall of shoes. Well. I do not have a wall of shoes. My my husband built it for me for, it's cri- amazing. for Christmas. That was my Christmas present last it's amazing. year. amazing. And it's probably my most favorite Christmas present. I mean, I, I, you know, this is where my priorities are. Um, I love my shoe rack more than my wedding ring. <laughs> So basically what you're saying is you're like and I love the my American ring. version of um Amelda Marcos. I go, that that girl was goals. I mean you're close. I mean not as close but I mean she is goals. Yeah. Shall we get into our booze news? Yes. Booze news. Booze news. I love that. I want that as a ringtone. All the other 90s 
kids or the kids born in the 80s grew up in the 90s understand that reference oh man but yes i think the first one is yours oh yes i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) so sorry not editing Um, that out (laughs) yeah no leave that i was like what's happening oh yeah okay um so nike is getting into the halloween spirit uh this year with a brand new pair of nightmare on elm street freddy krueger themed kicks yeah buddy it's done up in the air max 95 style and um this was uh brought to our attention by hype beast um the sneakers may not immediately uh registers as freddy inspired um capturing his iconic colors the you know in the muted uh kind of low-key sort of way but um it's looking Kind of like more of like a, a dirty brown than like the Freddy sweater green. But the shoes are outfitted with the red stripes and the gray slash silver um, accents inspired by Freddy's glove. And they also feature light blood splatter. You know, I might have to order these because yeah. I'm going to start knitting my Freddy sweater <gasps> this week. Yeah, I'm actually, you know what? I'm not like a big sneaker person, like as far as like collecting sneakers. Mm-mm, me neither. But... I mean, if you haven't looked these up, I kind of, I kind of want them. They're, they're actually kind of neat looking. Yeah. Well, and I like too, cause like the, on the Nike swoosh, it's printed on the insoles. It's like dripping with blood. Yeah. So look for these uh, sometime in October. Woohoo! So be on the lookout on the Nike website or, I mean, I don't know if they have like, um, where they could send you an email when it's released or something like that. But uh, definitely be on the lookout. I just ordered some new running shoes because I had to replace mine that I burned through. Um, But I should have totally looked out for a pre-order on these. Oh, yeah. I mean. But I didn't. It's okay. But they look cool. Oh, they're so groovy. I'm I'm looking them up again right now. Yeah. Oh, those would totally go with my Freddy sweater yep. when I'm done with it. I mean, I would just wear them and then find another like cool Freddy shirt. Because I actually don't have a Freddy shirt. I don't either. And that's no, you do. A Freddy shirt? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I have you the, do. The, the From Boogie, Spirit Halloween. The Boogeyman tarot card one. Yeah. But I wanted like the actual sweater, like the stripes. Oh. And, and I couldn't find one that I liked. I even looked on Etsy and you can find everything on Etsy. Mm-hmm. I even looked on Etsy and I couldn't find one. But we have a friend, a very dear friend, our ghoul friend, Courtney. Shout out Hi, to Courtney. our friend Courtney. Who's an avid and incredibly talented oh knitter. So I sent her a picture of what I was looking for. I want like a 50s style sweater but in Freddy Cougar stripes. She's like, oh, you could totally make that. So she even found me the pattern and stuff. So I ordered my yarn. It's here. I'm going to start this week. <gasps> I can't wait to see this. The pressure's okay. on. I know. Mm-hmm. To go with the Nike the Nike Air Max. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> um, and then next up, straight out of Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Hey. What is the only thing in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee? Um, Dollywood. Dollywood. Also, add that to our list of places that we're going to drive to. Oh, hell yeah. I'm just Heck saying. Heck yeah. Sorry, you know, kids. I know you love Dolly Parton, but <gasps> I, I don't know if her. you know this, but I also really love her. I know. Like, a lot. Like, we're, we're, I, hash, I wish I had her body. Well, you it, you can. You just have to pay for it. <laughs> right. But I can't. In the immortal <laughs> words of, of the wonderful Dolly, it costs a lot of money to look this cheap. 
Mm-hmm. We love her so much. I, I also would like a shirt that says that. The bigger the hair, the closer to God. Tease it to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So straight out of Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. Falls right around the corner. And with it comes Dollywood's Harvest Festival and Great Pumpkin Lights. <gasps> so this annual fall event will begin on September 25th. And which by the time this episode, I think this episode's what? By the time this episode airs. There we go. Uh, I think that'll actually be the next day or a couple days later. Um, and it's going to start on September 25th. Uh, hmm, <clears throat> slow down. Too much coffee. It will start <laughs> September 25th and run through Halloween. Um, so Dollywood says guests can experience several new surprises during the Harvest Festival this season with reinvigorated decorations throughout the park. Great Pumpkin Luma Lights returns as well. Uh, Visitors will be able to stroll through thousands of pumpkins, including large and immersive displays. The park's newest section, Wildwood Grove, will also be part of the event with additional theming elements and displays that have been added this year. So among the new ones is a sunflower field with dozens of stacked pumpkins cut sequentially to feature sunflowers. That sounds actually pretty dang cool. Um, There's pictures of these when this event is, you know. Well, we have some listeners in Tennessee. So to our our listeners in Tennessee, if you make it out to Dollywood for this, please take pictures and tag us. We would love to see what it looks like. Yes. Um, So the release from Dollywood states that carving each stock takes up to two hours with additional build time needed to stack pumpkins and lights to complete the flower. Oh, my gosh. Um, So the stacked pumpkins and sunflowers are going to range in size from six to nine and a half feet tall. Wow. That's a real big pumpkin sunflower oh that's taller than me well and some more good news uh shutter announced the start of uh excuse me (laughs) too much caffeine i guess (laughs) um shutter announced the start of production of the highly anticipated second season of the hit series creep show in atlanta georgia Yay. I just like that. Yeah. <laughs> the six episode second season will premiere exclusively on Shutter in 2021. So, um, when I created my Twitter account, the only reason why I created it was to follow Anonymous because they were starting to leak some really fun stuff. Yeah. Um, because it's amazing. Yep. And then I kind of like took a right turn and I actually started following a couple of different news outlets like for spooky news oh yeah um and one of them that i started following was shutter so while we were recording our last episode i got a twitter alert that um heather langenkamp has signed on to be in the next series the next batch of uh creep show series really mm-hmm. really yeah i find the tweet that's pretty cool no i'm sorry oh. that's not true not heather langenkamp ashley lawrence Oh, okay. Hellraiser, not Nightmare on Elm Street. Right, because I was like, I know her. Because she lives in Ojai. Yeah. She close. But yes, Ashley Lawrence, um, <laughs> Keith David, um, Anna Camp, uh, Adam Polly from The Mindy Project uh, are also on board. Oh, nice. Yeah. Excitement. Mm-hmm. I, I actually enjoyed it. And, you know, when we were talking about it compared to like the original and stuff like that with the stories. So I liked it. There were a couple that yeah. were that were misses. Yeah. But, you but, know, it's going to be that way with any anthology. Yeah. You're not going to like all of them. Exactly. But I enjoyed it. It was <laughs> it was definitely enjoyable. Um, and then in other news, happy death day and happy death day to you. Number two. 
Uh, <laughs> director Christopher Landon has recently been teasing a brand new horror movie with an original concept that immediately grabbed our attention. So the movie's actually going to be titled Freaky. It's really cool. I if you know. haven't seen the trailer, Vince Vaughn. Okay. I have the secret crush on Vince Vaughn. Why? I don't know why. I think it's because like of Swingers. I've always liked him since then. Okay. I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird one. Hey, my very first crush ever (laughs) was Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka. So I'm not going to judge you girl. I also liked him when they did that remake of Psycho. Like, oh, I the one that had Anne Heche in it? Yes. And he, and then he was Norman Bates. So I've always kind of had this, like, like dorky, like, crush on him. Okay. But anyway. <laughs> but he's in this film playing um, the serial killer. And basically yes, the is. whole concept is, like, there's this uh, a teenager in high school. And they basically swap body, bodies. So, like, Freaky it's Friday. It's like Freaky Friday, yeah. Yeah. But I'm I'm really excited for this concept. Well, and uh, Stephen but, King has been raving about this movie. Well, I mean, just watching the trailer, I'm I'm like, I'm really excited about it. So I hope we're gonna have a watch party and then we're gonna talk about it. Oh heck yeah! Um, and it's gonna be released on November thirteenth. Oh yeah, soon. Man, we're doing. I mean that, and that's Friday the thirteenth. Well, and we have to have our antebellum watch party too. Yes, like next so many week. things. Oh my gosh! Yeah, next week it comes out next week. Ugh. And we don't. I mean, and it's probably not going to be like thirty dollars, like Mulan, right? Well, you never know. Oh God. <laughs> Good old I'm still, Mulan. I still haven't pulled the trigger yet. No, neither have I. Because I feel like then they're going to mm. release it on Disney Plus later. And then I'm going to be really mad that I spent $30 when I I could have just waited for it to be free. Right. I'm patient. (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) Um, And then last but not least, uh, Saw 2, Saw 3, and Saw 4 director Darren Lynn Boozman's Spiral. So Darren Boozman also of um, Repo, the genetic opera fame. That's right. Uh-huh. Um, so the the film Spiral from the Book of Saw with Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson was originally set to hit theaters this year, but was delayed until May due to the coronavirus pandemic. And now we found out that Boozman says he's up for more Saw sequels. Well, I just hope they're good. I'm very, I'm looking forward to the Chris Rock one. I am too, because Chris Rock... Um, cultivated the idea and actually yeah. brought it to him so i am curious mm-hmm. to see where this is gonna go yeah i'm definitely gonna watch that one i am too because i saw the other saws and like honestly i'm just i just wasn't interested no i think i watched i i watched all of them but after four i just really was like come on guys yeah come on this is losing it's getting, it's getting old now yeah but yeah yeah so uh word on the street is uh he's never going to say never on that one and it's possible that we could see more saucy sequels after spiral oh i can't wait who knows <laughs> uh so continuing on sharing some great organizations to follow um one that i've actually do- did a big uh a donation for one of my birthdays i believe uh, it was two years ago, um, and it's the Trevor Project. Um, and if anybody doesn't know, like, I 
and I know Sarah is too, like, I'm just a, a ma- super majorly supportive of the um, LGBTQA plus I plus. <laughs> I'm going to make sure I get them all. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm very big in supporting that community. We're humongous allies. Yes. Huge. I'm a, what was it on <laughs> Drag Race? <laughs> but she's a, she's like a, she's a fierce Brock ally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I forget who said that, but it was great. It and was, it, oh, it was Dahlia. Yes, Dahlia. Thank you. I'm a fierce Brock ally. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but um, Trevor Project is, uh, it's, it's huge. Um, it was founded in 1998 by the creators of the Academy Award winning short film, Trevor. Um, the Trevor Project is the leading national organization providing crisis interve- intervention and suicide prevention services to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning young people under 25. Um, so every day um, in the LGBTQAI plus uh, youth uh, in crisis reach out by calling, texting, and chatting the Trevor Project with the hope that they can receive the support of a warm community. Um, and it's uh, it's vital to their mission to make sure that Trevor volunteers can offer uh, support to every young person every day, every month, all day, you know, all year long. They're there twenty four seven, and it's free. Um, it includes a uh, Trevor Lifeline, Trevor uh, Text, and Trevor Chat. And they also um, expand their um, advocacy, research, and um, education efforts. Um, and I've donated to them. They do really great programs. Um, I actually, what kind of got me um, interested in this project was uh, one year um, at LA Pride, they had a booth. And I actually did see the short film, Trevor, and if you haven't, it's it's really, really good. Watch it. You should watch it. Um, but they had a booth and I was like talking to them for a really long time. So that was why that year for my birthday, I wanted to um, start a little birthday fundraiser to help raise money for them. And and again, um, you know, last week or well, when this comes, when this episode comes out, this will be like two weeks ago, I, I think um, it was um, National um, uh, Suicide Awareness um, so that was like another reason why I wanted to um, talk about the the Trevor Project, but also how important it is to me. And they just do really great things and they always need volunteers. So if you have the time and you can, you know, be on the hotline and just talk to somebody, um, you know, they're always, you know, looking for help. Um, they also take volunteers in their center. And maybe once we, you know, get out of this coronavirus um, you know, I'm probably, I'm, I would like to try to volunteer my time a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. But they're a really great programs, so please check them out and watch Trevor. Absolutely. Yeah. So this week, we are, uh, not this week, today. <laughs> I always say that too. Oh. <laughs> today. The, uh, the Rona's got us just like going. <laughs> time is just a social yeah. construct at this point. So today's episode is a continuation. This is part two of our three-part series of spooky movies for kids that we really love and that we wanted to share some more information on so that you can enjoy them with your little tiny ghouls if you've got them. And there's so many. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so many good ones. And and, uh, shout out. Shot? Oh, God. 
I did it again. <laughs> Shout out. Shout, Shout out, out. To, to Mr. <laughs> Liam Christopher. Yes. Um. So Liam is one of our listeners, along with his mama, Abby, who we love very, very dearly. And he actually sent us a few of these suggestions. Yeah. And a couple more of them we're going to do in our third episode that's mm-hmm. going to air here in probably another month or so. It'll air a little bit later in October. Yes. But we wanted to give him a little shout out. Yeah. So. Thanks for listening, Liam. Yeah, we got some good ones. Yeah. Do you want me to go first? Sure. Okay. Well, my first one, and I gotta say, other than Hocus Pocus, this is like one of my other favorite spooky kid movies, and that's The Witches. This one, like, this one ruined me as a kid. <laughs> I loved it. That probably tells you why I'm just a weirdo. Oh, it ruined Because me. my mom took me to see this, and I loved it. Ruined. But also, because I read the book. Oh, but the Roald Dahl book? Yep. Yes. I I had to I had to read it. And you know, for the longest time, like I mean, but this is like when I was younger and I didn't actually realize until I was a lot older that his name is not Ronald. <laughs> oh no, Roald Dahl. I know. <laughs> and then it just reminded me of that when i was like you know doing all the like fun facts and stuff and i was like oh yeah it's rolled it's not ronald (laughs) like i thought when i was younger (laughs) uh but anyway because i like kept it brought me back but anyway (laughs) so uh the witches is a 1990 british american dark fantasy comedy film directed by nicholas rogue uh, produced by Jim Henson, and uh, it was starring Angelica Houston. Ugh, she like the queen. She killed it. And yeah, we're- she was so good in this. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't. I mean, I'll get. I talk about other people that were offered the role, mm-hmm. um, but it wouldn't be the same without her. No, and I'm going to ask your opinion too when I get to that list. Okay. <laughs> but also, um, May uh, Zetterling, Rowan Atkinson wonderful mr Mr. bean and uh jansen fisher and it was based on the 1983 children's novel by rolled (laughs) doll (laughs) not ronald (laughs) Ronald. um and as in the original uh novel the story features evil witches who masquerade as ordinary women and kill children and a boy and his grandmother need to find a way to foil and destroy them um, the film was produced by Jim Henson Productions for Lorimar Film Entertainment and distributed by Warner Brothers, uh, or Warner Brothers Pictures, excuse me, as the last theatrical film to be produced by Lorimar. And also, um, I believe this was the last one for Jim Henson, I think, that Aww. he was like in full, like with the creative control, I believe. Um, I think I mentioned that. <laughs> um yes yes it was the final film that jim henson personally worked on before his death yeah i know i had that in there (laughs) r.i.p jim henson um so a little background on the uh uh production uh the following people did special puppeteer work in this film so uh anthony asbury don austin who did uh the bruno bruno's mouse form um sue dacker 
David Greenaway, uh, Brian Henson, Robert Tigner, and Stephen Whitmire, who did Luke's mouse form. So, like, some of them were real mice, but others were puppets, which is kind of cool. Like, the little me did not know that. (laughs) Um, The early portion of the film was shot in uh, Bergen in Norway. Um, Much... Of the the rest was shot on location in the Headland Hotel situated on the coast in uh, Nuquay, Nuquay, Cornwall. So, um, just a couple of like little fun facts during production. Um, during the shoot, Rowan Atkinson caused a Mr. Bean style calamity when he left the bath taps running in the room. Um, and then the France, he did like the frantically, uh, Wait, t- on purpose. Yes. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the flood, uh, wrote off much of the production team's electrical equipment on the floor below. No, he did that on purpose. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like intentionally destroyed parts of the set. Yeah. Why? And people were knocking on the, the, like the door and, and like they were told to like go away. I'm asleep. That's terrible. So I, Mr. I'm sure it was Bean. an accident, but yeah, he left Shame the water on. Shame on you. <laughs> and at the time of filming, um, Angelica Houston was dating Jack Nicholson. And wait, wait, wait. She dated Jack Nicholson? Yes. No. <laughs> yes. No. I didn't know that. But, which was really cool because you think he's just like this. Like, I don't know. Like, does he seem like he would be like boring? Jack. I think that Jack Nicholson is in real life the exact same character he played yeah. as the Joker in Batman. Okay, and that's what I was thinking. That's like, how I picture him in real life. Okay, but I think like when outside of that, like he's just like this quiet dude that just sits at home. Well, I think that he's... That's probably not true. I think he's but... a mix of that and the guy from that he played in As Good As It Gets. I think okay. that, I think okay, that that's, that's who fair. he is in real life. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> just like a complete weirdo. But he would uh, frequently call her at the hotel and send huge flower bouquets which the staff loved because they got want, to deliver it to her do you want my address jack nicholson you can send i know me send me too. some flowers <laughs> um the director nicholas rogue later edited out scenes he thought would be too scary for children after seeing his young son's reaction of the original cut. he edited it yeah <laughs> I know. I was like, and what? What else did you take out? Because I think I need dramatic. to. I feel. I feel like I need to get the Blu-ray of this because I don't have it, and I want to see if those deleted scenes are in there, like the scarier ones. Because I need to see it. No, I mean, even the just the part alone when they're at the convention in the hotel. <laughs> And they're all taking their their wigs and their faces off. Like, that was traumatic for me as a child. Yes. Like, ah! <laughs> um. So yeah, like I I really want to see that. <laughs> like I I just love that part where they're like taking all their wigs. It's so cool. Anyway, peeling like, off her face. Like yeah, it's cool. Anyway, it, I was a weird child. Um. <laughs> but speaking of the witch's makeup, <laughs> um, the elaborate makeup effects for Houston's Grand High Witch took six hours to apply and then another six to remove it's a long um, day. the prosthetics included a full face mask hump 
uh, mechanized claws and a uh, withered uh, collarbone. Um, Houston described a monologue scene she had to do where she says, I was so uncomfortable and tired of being encased in rubber under hot lights for hours that the lines had ceased to make sense to me and all I wanted to do was cry. Oh, I've been there, honey. I'm like, oh, that's me when I have to exercise at the gym. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I can't even imagine under all of that. I mean, I know there was a a documentary where they're talking about the Nutty Professor with Eddie Murphy. And he was saying like how heavy that suit was, all those prosthetics, like your body like gets so sore and I mean, there's nothing you do about it. You got to put it on every day mm-hmm. for filming. So, yeah. <laughs> um, the green vapor used uh, extensively at the end of the film was oil-based and would uh, obscure the contacts in Houston's eyes, which had to be regularly, regularly, excuse me, flushed out with water by an expert. And then the director, Rogue, chose a sexy costume for the character to wear and emphasized to Houston that the Grand High Witch should have sex appeal at all times, despite her grotesque appearance in the certain scenes of the film. Dang. So, uh, getting to the script, so uh, the author, Dahl, he, um, so he went to a test screening of the original cut of the film and he angrily expressed to the producers how appalled he was at the vulgarity, the bad taste, and actual terror in certain parts of the film. That's fair. Yeah, he was really uh-huh. upset. I mean, again, I loved it, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, as a gesture of uh, conciliation, Rogue offered to film two versions before he made his final choice. The book version, where Luke remains a mouse, and then the happier version, where he's transformed back to a human. So, upon watching the scene loyal to his book, Dahl was so moved that he was brought to tears, actually. Um, however, though, Rogue decided to go with the change ending, which led Dahl demanding to have his name and the title uh, to be uh, removed, like basically his title of like producer, to be removed um, before prior to the release. Dang. But but after receiving a, a very uh, apologetic complimentary letter from Jen Henson, um, Dahl grudgingly withdrew his threat. So yeah. Wow. Drama. <laughs> but I mean, I get it. I mean, there are parts that were really creepy, but mm-hmm. it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me at all. <laughs> I mean, that part, cause I was really young when I saw it and like too young to be watching it. And it was very dramatic. <laughs> yeah. So actually, um, Doll was very, very happy that angelica houston was cast as the grand high witch but there were a lot of other people that were actually offered the role so here's the list i i, I just want to hear your reactions with these because <laughs> they're great so first is share <clears throat> oh share yeah okay so this is so funny <laughs> because one of the movies that i'm going to talk about also stars angelica houston and also share was considered for the role really yes really yes i would have never put that together yes i mean i would have i mean i mean well mm, well when we get to that movie okay but yeah okay uh eartha kip okay i would have loved that 
Yes. Uh, uh, Fiona Fullerton. Hard now. Yeah. <laughs> Genevieve Bujold. Don't know who that is. I don't know who that is either. I was going to look it up, but anyway. Don't know who that is, so now. Helen Mirren. Oh, that. Oh, she would have been good. I mean, that. Dame, I got to say, Dame that's a Helen close second. Mirren was That's wonderful. a close second. Yeah. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't have hated that. No, I wouldn't have either. Um, Anne Bancroft. Yeah. That's a no for me. It's, it's a no from me. It's a no. Yeah. Uh, Olivia uh, Hussey. I, I know I've heard that name before. <laughs> yeah, she was in, Um, so she yeah. was in Black, no, not Black Christmas. Was she in Black Christmas? The original. Yes. Okay. Um, so That's she, what I thought, because I was like, okay. She was in, oh, oh, she was, okay, so Olivia Hussey was also in, she was in Black Christmas. She was also Juliet in the original Romeo and Juliet. Oh, okay, and then, thank you. And then right. she was also in the television version of It. She, that's right. She that's plays where Audra. I, that's where mm-hmm. I knew the name. Okay. Yeah. And then uh Sigourney Reaver. No. <laughs> Linda Blair. No. Faye Dunaway. No. <laughs> Susan Sarandon. No. Jodie Foster. Come on. That's a hell no. Come I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Clary Starling <laughs> did great as Clary Starling. Yeah. But I was like no uh, vanessa redgrave i could see that okay. one I, yeah francis conroy oh, not bad i i mean she, here, she played a witch later right but here's the one that i was just like why was this even on the table liza minnelli oh come on really like were you guys just like thinking of like just random people i know this is a kid's I, this is a kid's episode but kids, this is what happens when adults are left with very special beverages <laughs> and too much time on their hands. Bad oh casting God. choices are made. I was like, Liza Minnelli? No. I mean, she's great. I mean, I loved her in Cabaret. Who didn't? But, and then I, I loved her in um, um Arthur. Yeah, she was good in Arthur. Yeah. But I mean. No. <laughs> <laughs> just, just no but anyway i had to hear your opinion on that because i was like reading this and i'm like really my opinion is that casting director's not even trying at this point <laughs> but when they thought of angelica houston i'm like yeah you she guys, was fabulous yeah i think she pretty much if she wasn't in it i don't know if it would have been that good no it honestly. would not have um so there's a couple of um differences uh from the book uh to the movie um in the book the boy doesn't have a name but in the film, he's called Luke. Really? Oh, yeah. You're right. But I didn't remember that. No. It's been a million years since yeah. I read that. I mean, I, it's I th- been a while. I think I was in third or fourth grade when well, I read it. That's what I'm saying. It. I read it when I was really young. So. I, I watched I watched the movie before I read the book. Oh, no. I say I read the book first because um, I, I loved all the doll books. Like, my mom got me the whole set. I'm still waiting for somebody to make Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator into <gasps> a wonderful movie. Yes. Uh, so are you saying like i mean because obviously we don't have gene wilder but would you not johnny depp (laughs) that's what i was gonna ask not johnny depp (laughs) okay okay rest in peace gene wilder i know Ugh. (laughs) i said good day sorry good day sir (laughs) i say that all the time anyway (laughs) um also a couple other differences uh in the book grandma falls ill from pneumonia but in the movie, uh, Grandma falls ill from a mild case of diabetes. Oh, I thought that was so funny. The the diabetes. 
You check your blood sugar and you check it often. Yeah, I need to do that more. He just died. I know. Very sad. They still play his commercials, though. So oh, cool. yes. <laughs> Some other little production notes that are... Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, go back to the book. Excuse me. Um, in the book, Grandma is a retired witch hunter that lost her left thumb in an encounter with a witch. In the film, Grandma tells Luke that she searched the world for the Grand High Witch. And unlike the book, Grandma lost her left little finger, not her left thumb. Grandma was hardcore. Yeah. I'll be getting a witch hunter. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Hardcore. Um, other interesting facts. So in the German title of the film is Hexen Hexen, which literally means witches practice witchcraft. That's interesting. Yes. That is the translation. That's very funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the actor, uh, Rowan Atkinson, after he flooded a whole level, um, <laughs> Modeled his performance um, as Mr. Singer after uh, Basil Fawlty from Fawlty Towers. Oh. Um, and he's actually, um, John Cleese is uh, Rowan Atkinson's idol. Aww. So a lot of his uh, comedy um, actually comes from inspiration see, from John Cleese. I can see the connection. Yeah. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um uh, other interesting facts. So Jim Henson's Creature Shop created three different sizes of puppet mice. The A mice, I'm doing a little like air quotation marks, um, <laughs> were the size of actual mice being operated by almost hair thin cables. The B mice, um, also cable controlled, were about the size of a very large rat. And then the C type was a very expensive, uh, sorry, very expressive, excuse me, uh, large hand puppet, about three feet tall. However, the largest size was only used in about four shots since uh, director Nick Rogue found it difficult to cut from a close-up of a human to a close-up of a mouse. Uh, So he preferred to keep the width of the shot the same, thus the miniature mice in scaled-down sets were used uh, more often. Mm. It's really cool. All these little mice puppets. Little mousies. <laughs> um, a little sad uh, fact, but uh, the film was released in the United Kingdom on May 25th, 1990, over a week after the death of Jim Henson, who he died uh, May 16th in 1990. Um Oh, the uh, toy train that Luke was riding on when he's a little mouse. Uh, it brings him to the, if you notice, the Ghostbusters firehouse. Aww. And it's a little uh, Lego space monorail train. I need to rewatch it. It's been a minute. I know. It's, it's been a while. <laughs> and actually, the, the child that played uh, Luke, Charlie Potter, it was his first and only acting role. Wow. And he later became a barrister. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, other interesting fact uh, in both the novel and in the movie it is unexplained why the witches hate and victimize children and why the grand high witch wants every child in England wiped out well never mind (laughs) oh my god Um, and as a nod to the um, author uh, of the, the book, Dahl, uh, in the film, one of the witches offers Luke a bar of chocolate. And the uh, Grand High Witch and the witches plot to transform all the British children into mice by putting the formula into the bars of chocolate to kind of hint to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. Kind of cool. <laughs> 
And another little fun fact, last one. Uh, in the film, the Grand High Witch is posing as the chairwoman of, and all the witches are posing as members of the Royal Society for Pre- Prevention of Cruelty to Children. And obviously, it's there's a little bit of irony there because they victimize and are cruel to children. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's just some fun things about the movie. I've always loved this movie and um, I'm very interested to see what they are going to do for the remake um, where Anne Hathaway is uh, going to play the Grand High Witch. I am actually really excited for the remake. Yeah, I'm. I, just don't mess it up. Good luck and please, as RuPaul says, good luck and don't you Bleep. know what it up. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Put a bleep in there for you. <laughs> Alrighty. So the the first one that I picked was is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's Beetlejuice. <gasps> love Beetlejuice. Oh, I love this so much. I would love it so much. I was actually Beetlejuice for Halloween last year. Yes, you were. It was really good. It was a good time. We had a lot of fun. So for those, I, I don't know how you haven't seen the movie if you haven't, but if you haven't, little bit of a brief synopsis. Um, the film follows uh, Barbara and Adam Maitland, who are uh, hardware store owners and a husband and wife couple that live in this beautiful home. They end up tragically dying in a car accident. And this film follows their afterlife journey, including what happens when someone else moves into your home after you pass away and you're stuck there and you're stuck to haunt for a hundred years until you move on. So it follows their journey to try to remove the new inhabitants out of their home. Their names are the Dietz family. Um, and they've got a young daughter named Lydia, who's the only one that can see them. And in their attempt to remove the Dietzes, they hire a bioexorcist by the name of Beetlejuice. <laughs> so the film, film goes on following that adventure. Eventually, they find a happy medium where everyone's able to cohabitate together very fun but there's lots of really great little memorable scenes and lines from this film highly recommend if you haven't seen it highly recommend you watch it yes um it is a classic it came out in 1988 and fun fact tim burton was only 30 years old when this was released wow mm-hmm. wow yep such a oh, so great yep so a little bit of background about the movie um, as I mentioned, Tim Burton was 30 when it was actually released, um, and it was on the coattails of the financial success of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which came out in 1985. Another good one. Yep. So <laughs> that that put Tim Burton on the map as a quote-unquote bankable director, and he started after Pee-wee's Big Adventure working on a script for Batman with Sam Hamm, who was co-writing it. And Warner Brothers was willing to pay for that script's development, but they were less willing to greenlight Batman. So during that time, Tim Burton had started to read other scripts that had been sent his way and was really disheartened by any of the lack of imagination and originality within them. So David Geffen then handed him the script for Beetlejuice, which was written by Michael McDowell, who also wrote the script for The Jar, which was an episode of Alfred Hitchcock's Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Oh. Yeah. So a couple of other uh, fun facts from this film. So 
the original casting choice for the role of Beetlejuice was Sammy Davis Jr., who was one of... What? Yeah, it was originally Sammy Davis Jr. That is who Tim Burton wanted to to cast in the role. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So then... I gotta think about that one for a minute. <laughs> yeah. So then... Um, Uh, David Geffen actually suggested Michael Keaton, um, but Tim Burton was really unfamiliar with any of Michael Keaton's work, but was very quickly convinced that he was a great actor and then obviously liked him because then he was cast in a Batman. Which is the greatest. The greatest Batman. Yep. The only Batman that matters. Exactly. Um, So, and also this was actually, if you interview Michael Keaton and ask him, he states that the role of Beetlejuice was actually his favorite role that he had ever I mean, how could played. it not be? Iconic. It's such a great movie. Iconic. <laughs> but, and despite Beetlejuice being the title character of the film, Beetlejuice actually only appears for 14 and a half minutes of yeah. the film. Which is... Crazy, right? Yeah, it's so funny. Crazy. <laughs> I still... I'm, I'm trying to picture Sammy Davis Jr. in my head right now. I mean... <laughs> I mean, that's almost like when I was just talking about Liza Minnelli. Right. <laughs> um, and Michael Keaton also ad-libbed 90% of his lines. Oh, you could tell. Oh, totally. And like, I'm glad. Yeah, totally. Um, and according to Michael Keaton, the Beetlejuice character was described to him by Tim Burton as, quote unquote, having lived in every time period, but no time period. Oh, okay. Like, I don't know what I would... Thank God for Michael Keaton, because I don't know where I would go with that. Um, so Keaton used that as the jumping off point to create the title character. And so shortly after they were able to secure him, they also were able to secure Catherine O'Hara, as well as Winona Ryder, who Tim Burton really started to take a liking to after he saw her in Lucas. Oh. And also, Catherine O'Hara met her husband on this film. Oh, mm-hmm. that's cool. Yeah. So Beetlejuice's budget was actually 15 million bucks and oh. only $1 million of that was given over for visual effects work. Huh. So considering the scale and scope of the effects, which included all the stop motion, replacement animation, prosthetic makeup, puppetry, blue screen, it was always uh, Tim Burton's intention to make the style similar to kind of B-movies that he grew up with as a kid. Um, And he said that he wanted to make them look as cheap and purposely fake as possible. (laughs) So he hired Bo Welch, who he then future collaborated with on Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, and a few others. And all the test screenings were met with very positive feedback, which prompted him to film this cool epilogue that's at the very end where he uh, Beetlejuice ticks off the witch doctor and then he sprinkles the stuff on his face and then shrinks Beetlejuice's head. Um, and all that business. So Bo Welch is Mr. Catherine O'Hara. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. All right. So let's talk also about the iconic Deo scene. My favorite. uh, From when all of the characters meet together and have Din Din at the uh, Dietz's new residence, a.k.a. the Maitland residence. Yep. So... Uh, Tim Burton actually was worried that the Deo sequence wouldn't go over well, um, since in his opinion, he didn't think it was really funny. I thought it was. Right? (laughs) I would like to recreate that scene myself. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. 
<laughs> well, and um, actually, there was the the part where the shrimps all come up from the from the table. Yeah. So they actually tried a couple different versions of it. One of the other versions that they tried was having stagehands throw shrimp at all of the dinner guests. Oh, okay. Which you know that that worked, right. but totally would not have been as funny as no. as the way that it worked out. But I mean, what an iconic scene because when you when you see that, and I just recently saw a meme I think on Instagram of just Catherine O'Hara with her crazy little hair gelled to her cheek. Oh, I know. And then with her mouth open, <laughs> and you just look at that image and you and you hear that you yep. hear. Uh, uh, oh my gosh. Harry Belafonte. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> That's his name. Like, brain, brain, we can do this. We know the answer. Every time I hear that song, like just in general in my little oldie station, mm-hmm. I like do the dance. Yo, as you should. <laughs> um, and then fun fact also, when Glenn Shaddix, who played Otho, died in September of 2010, the last song performed at his memorial service was Deo. Oh, that's cool. I know. Isn't it cute? But also really sad. <laughs> I mean, sad, but very cute. Although when I die, I hope that um, one, you guys have a really big party. Oh, yeah. It's going to be like a rave. But like, well, <laughs> less of the stuff that less, less of the, the controlled substances. Oh, and no, I, none of that. Is and I won't name them because there's children listening to this episode. But parents <laughs> be responsible. But yes. Please have one, have a party. Two, please keep it real. Please don't tell everybody like how nice and loving and caring I was because we all know that's not true. Please tell them that. Like, please, please be honest. It's <laughs> please be like, true. She was cranky. <laughs> she loved animals more than people. I mean, <laughs> she, okay, now like, that part is true. And she got real sassy on times when she shouldn't have. So please keep it real. But also, um, either please play Deo and do that dance from the dinner party scene or please do the time warp and play that from Rocky done Warp. i'll do both okay sounds good we have a deal <laughs> um and a couple other fun facts so beetlejuice was actually the first dvd that was sent out via netflix in 1998 really yeah i wouldn't I have guessed that yeah i didn't know that i would have figured it would have been like force I mean, or something and i almost forgot that netflix used to send out dvds oh man <laughs> remember those days when you wow. could only get one at a time i feel really old mm-hmm. <laughs> and um at the the dinner party scenes otho actually makes a couple of comments that the people that commit um or people who take their own lives end up as civil servants of the afterlife so little little fun pieces and this actually i mean it's sad because obviously we we don't advocate this, but uh, the movie kind of poked fun at the civil servant aspect of it because Miss Argentina, you know, holds up her wrists and says, if I would have known then what I know now, I wouldn't have had my little accident. Yeah. Um, and then the guy that uh, goes around and drops all the papers and stuff that's hanging on the little railway oh, when, yep. the, when the Maitlands first go through um, the afterlife. Mm hmm. That guy looked like he had been flattened by a car, like insinuating that he had, you know, stepped out in front of a car. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, obviously Juno has a big, their, their caseworker, Juno, your caseworker has the big uh, cut in her, in her neck, insinuating that she cut her own throat, which is a little, uh, a little disconcerting. A little dark. Yeah, a little, little dark, a little it's, dark. And this is a kid's movie? No, 
Well, so I actually have a warning too that I'll get to in here in just a oh, second. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> last fun fact before I issue my warning, and then also we talk about the rumored sequel. So the studio originally wanted to call the film House Ghosts, which is terrible. Um, and so as a jerk jerk what sorry joke as a joke (laughs) tim burton suggested the the name scared sheetless and the studio actually considered using it Uh, that's great that's terrible (laughs) that's so awful wow um so quick warning for parents this is one of the few uh quote-unquote kid movies Along with Spaceballs, I consider Spaceballs a kid's movie. Would you consider Spaceballs a kid's movie? I, I say half and half for half me. Half and half? Okay. Yeah. Maybe like a mature kid's movie. Um, but also Big um, and then Caddyshack 2 are the first couple of PG rated films oh, okay. that contain the F word. So parents, there is one oh, scene right. when the Maitlands first meet Beetlejuice and they end up going home, and he's really angry, and he turns around and he says, nice effing model. So, just be warned, there is that, um, as as our listener Liam Christopher refers to it, those are in the car words. So, <laughs> so parents be warned, there is an in the car word yep. in this movie. Um, but, let's talk about the good stuff. Yeah. The rumored sequel. Yay. So, uh, a sequel has actually been discussed for several years. Yeah. Um, especially after the box office success of the the iconic Beetlejuice. So the sequel that was originally planned was called Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, which sounds awful. Yeah. Based it, on the title. No wonder it's been taking them so long to plan it. Well, I don't I don't know too <laughs> like slight side story but also kind of uh, marries into this. I love my brother dearly. However, my brother and I are two completely different people and we don't know who the other person is. Like we just are so different that we really don't know how to communicate or like people (laughs) at all. Um, Doesn't mean I love him unless we're just completely different. So for Christmas a couple years ago, he got us Christmas Vacation 2. So in case you didn't know, there is a sequel to Christmas Vacation. It's called Christmas Vacation 2, Uncle Eddie's Island Adventure. It's the worst movie that was ever created. (laughs) I feel dumber having watched it. I threw it away. And I don't mind saying this because my brother's never going to listen to my podcast ever. So sequels that take place on islands are not good. So I'm so glad that this idea was abandoned. <laughs> oh, How terrible. Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian. Gosh, like, why dang would he it. even go Hawaiian? I don't get it. I mean, cuz who doesn't love Hawaii? But still like But but wasn't he still stuck in the like the underworld after? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I mean At people in Hawaii die too. No, but I mean like he's still I mean, he's just going to magically show up in Hawaii? I mean, from the sometimes underworld? I magically show up in Hawaii from the underworld. I wish I could magically show up. <laughs> um, yeah. That's my dream. Real, 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 real terrible. So um, Tim Burton actually lost interest in the project. Good. Understandably so, because it sounded dreadful. Yeah, that's um, terrible. Yeah, and then he went on to produce uh, and or to direct Batman and Batman Returns instead. So as of late 2015, Warner Brothers is still trying to get the original sequel concept into production. Production. boo not the original concept let's not do that that oh, sounds no. terrible so 
Uh, in November of 2013, Winona Ryder actually hinted at a possible return for the sequel and said, quote, I am kind of sworn to secrecy, but it sounds like it might be happening. It's 27 years later. And all I have to say, I love Lydia Dietz so much. She was such a huge part of me. I would be interested in what she's doing 27 years later. Wasn't that? No, it was 27 weeks later. No. 27 days later? Mm. 28 days later. 28 days later? 28 days later. Wasn't that the one with Arnold Schwarzenegger? No. That's the one with uh, Cillian Murphy. Yes. The zombie, the end of the world one with Cillian Murphy. No, the Arnold Schwarzenegger one was end of days. Yeah. (laughs) So many apocalyptic (laughs) movies. I can't keep them straight. (laughs) Way too many. Oh my goodness. Um, But she said she would only do it if Tim Burton and Michael Keaton were both involved. Agreed. Right? Why else would you bother? Yeah. December 2014, Tim Burton stated... Uh, it's a character that I love and miss working with, and I actually miss working with Michael. There's only one Beetlejuice. We're working on a script, and I think it's probably closer than ever, and I'd love to work with him again. So, in January 2015, writer Graham Smith told Entertainment Weekly that the script was finished and that he and Burton intended to start filming Beetlejuice 2 by the end of the year, and that both Michael Keaton and Winona no writer would be reprising their respective roles. Oh. Um. So anyway, we keep going, we keep going, time goes on, move forward to May 2016, Tim Burton has said, um, you know, now it's something he would like to do, but in the right circumstances, um, so where we are now is the sequel had been shelved as of April 2019, so... If you continue seeing that fan poster that's been making its way around oh, social I've media, seen that, yeah. it's just a fan poster. It's not real. As of April 2019, it's still been shelved, unfortunately. Sounds like the script is just not good. No, and you know, anytime you're going to, it's the same. I think the movie that we'll save for our last, you know, three parter about kid Halloween movies is obviously the iconic Hocus Pocus. Mm-hmm. And we've all seen this, you know, the, the, scuttlebutt about the sequel to that i think it would be it could potentially be great but it's got to be the right story it's got to be the right cast it can't just be uh, this rehashing of tired old events it's got to be a little more involved than that yeah yep and that is the iconic beetlejuice such a great movie one of Mm -hmm. my favorites same well kind of carrying over uh to more tim burton i picked frankenweenie Oh, this one's hard for me. I know. Because the whole premise is the dog dies. I know, but, I mean, he comes back to life. I know, but it's still so hard. <laughs> but it's one of my favorites, and I love, the main thing that I love about it is, you know, all the uh, references to, like, old uh, old school movie monsters and stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's always been one of my favorites. But, I mean, in general, I love Tim Burton, and pretty much everything that he does but you know what no i shouldn't say everything yeah i can say everything i don't think there's been one movie of his that i don't like of tim burton's yeah um you know i was not crazy about the remake of uh charlie and the chocolate factory you know what i liked it and then i liked the um alice in wonderland but i did not like the second one the Alice in Wonderlands were okay i just didn't like the second one as much i don't know no and um I yeah, I just didn't care for the Charlie and Chocolate because I mean, Gene Wilder, man. I I know. Like you, you can't. It's no. hard when you touch the classics. Yeah, and I respect what they were trying to do by making yeah. um making the new Willy Wonka completely different from. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gene I Wilder. like what he did with it. 
but yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't like not think about the original when you try to, you know, you can't, cannot compare it. (laughs) But also I know this is a kid's episode, but Mm -hmm. Gene Wilder was my very first ever crush. (gasps) Really? Yes. Because he was pretty good looking and also he had a bomb purple jacket and he Mm -hmm. lived in a flipping candy factory. Yeah, I mean, I what small child? You're like, marry me. Yeah, right? Like, what child does not want their future <laughs> husband to have a bomb jacket, yeah, a bomb like, hat, and me. a flipping candy factory? Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, you know, now I know what I'm going to get you for Christmas. You can tell where my priorities are. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I'm just going to get you a really big picture of... Of Gene, Gene. Wilder? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm going to sign it. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. <laughs> I'm going to sign it. It's going to say, good day, sir. <laughs> I said good day. <laughs> um, anyway, but back to Frank and Weenie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it came out in 2012. And it was a 3D stop motion animated supernatural horror comedy <laughs> uh, film and uh, directed by Tim Burton and produced by Walt Disney Pictures. Because, you know, they got to get their hands and everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was a, it's a remake of Burton's 1984 short film uh, of the same name. And it's uh, also both a parody of and, and pays homage to the 1931 film Frankenstein based on Mary Shelley's book. Nice. Yeah. Also a really good book. Oh, yeah. We'll have to do it for a book club one month. <laughs> um, and then, you know, a couple of familiar names uh, for the the voice cast. So, uh, Winona Ryder, mm-hmm. uh, Martin Short, uh, another one he's used before, Catherine O'Hara. Um, and, I love uh, her. Yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> and uh, Martin Landau. Yeah. Oh, the late great Martin Lando. Oh, yeah, he plays the um the the teacher, doesn't he? Yes. Yes. I mean, I think the just the the cast in general. I mean, he always has like really good people. Yeah. Like, I mean, I I love Johnny Depp, but I just like it more when he uses um uh, Helena Bottom Carter. Well, yes, but now that they are no longer an item, I mean, I wonder if he'll still use her. She's great. Oh, she's she is one of my favorites. She's such yeah. an underrated actress. Really is. She really is. <laughs> um, but uh, for those who haven't seen it, just a little bit of the plot. Um, you we in the film we meet a boy named Victor Frankenstein, and he uses the power of electri- electricity to uh, resurrect his dead bull terrier Sparky. Uh, but then. Um, but is then blackmailed by his peers into revealing how they can reanimate their own deceased pets and other creatures, resulting in absolute mayhem. Mm. <laughs> it was kind of fun. So it's slightly pet cemetery, just without <laughs> the spooky aspect of it. Right. <laughs> Which I thought was, uh, I don't know, it's kind of funny. <laughs> um, but uh, Frankenweenie was actually the first black and white feature um, uh length film and the first stop motion film to be released in IMAX 3D um, in the United States on October 5th, 2012. <laughs> and um, it actually got uh, nominated for an Academy Award, a Golden Globe, a BAFTA. BAFTA. Yeah. And an Annie, uh, Annie Award for Best Animated Film. Oh, yay. Yeah. 
So just a couple of like little uh, fun facts about the movie. Um, other than it being stop motion, like that just takes forever. <laughs> oh my goodness. So much crazy respect for stop motion filmmakers and artists because goodness gracious, what a labor of love. Yeah, I can't. I took the class when I was in film school and I was really glad it was short. I just <laughs> I just couldn't do it. <laughs> it takes a lot of time and a lot of talent. A lot, yeah. a lot, a lot. Yeah, well, they did a lot of the filming at uh, Three Mills Studio, and um, the crew created three giant sound stages. So that includes uh, Victor's, uh, Victor's cluttered family attic, a cemetery exterior, and a high school interior. And then the uh, sound stages were divided into 30 separate areas to deal with the handcrafted frame-by-frame style of the stop-motion animation. Yeah, I just... I. I like more power to those guys. <laughs> they, they've got a, a hard job. Crazy seriously. Talent. <laughs> um, and so in the mechanics of each thing, they're like really small and delicate. And in some instance, they had to have like Swiss watchmakers create little <laughs> tiny nuts and bolts. Holy shnikes. Yeah. And there was around 200 separate puppets that were used and roughly 18 different versions of Victor. Dang. That, that's a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> and then the puppets also, they had human hair. Oh, really? Yeah. They're, they're like me. Gotta weave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing mine too if it makes you feel any better. Hey, you know, if I bought it, it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, kids. <laughs> Learning everything today. <laughs> um, and they had 40... To 45 uh, joints for the human characters and about 300 parts for Sparky, oh, the dog. Sparky. So cute. <laughs> um, so getting into a little more fun facts. So this is uh, Tim Burton's first film since Big Fish that came out in 2003. Oh, I love that movie. And not a feature for Johnny Depp since oh. his, first, uh, his first since Sleepy Hollow which came out in 99. I can't believe it came out in 99. I thought it was like... Sleepy Hollow came out in 1999? Yep. Oh, I feel so old. I know. I, I mean, oh and Mars gosh. Attacks came out in 1996. Stop. I remember going to see that in the theaters. Yeah, me too. <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, God. Is this what it's like to feel old? I'm like, this is 37. <laughs> <laughs> Where like I feel like I'm like, but you know that much we have older. we have friends in our forties that are listening to us right now. They're like, shut up. Yeah, they're like, you know what? You guys need to stop talking right now. Yeah. Stop complaining. Go drink some water. You'll be fine. Right, <laughs> right. As we sip our water. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Victor's friend and next door neighbor is Elsa. Elsa Van Helsing. Oh, I loved her. She was so good. Yeah, she was great. And of course, it's a reference to Abraham Van Helsing Mm -hmm. from uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm -hmm. And Elsa uh, Lan... I'm going to say Lanchester. Yes. Uh, The original bride of Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. So it kind of all mixed together. Also known as Katie Nana from Mary Poppins. Yep. And she was also in Blackbeard's Ghost. She was great in Blackbeard's Ghost. Also a great kids movie. Parents, please have your kids watch it. It's awesome. We should talk about that, too. Mm -hmm. One of these days. (laughs) Um, 
Oh, and if you didn't notice in watching the movie, the pet cemetery features the grave of Zero from yes, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, also, little nods to old school um, movies and books. Um, the turtle uh, named Shelley is buried in the pet cemetery, and that I was for that. Mary Shelley. I who wrote her name was Shelley. I know, me too. <laughs> So that was, you know, they named the turtle after Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And then the mayor of the town, his name is Mr. Burgermeister, which means mayor in German. Does it really? Yes. <laughs> and also his name is also a uh, homage to the uh, Burgmeister, Meister Burger, the antagonist of the stop motion film Santa Claus is Coming to Town from the 1970s. Oh, I remember him. Yeah. And then also the demonstration um, that was from um, in the science class with the frog's legs, uh, frog, ah, frog's legs <laughs> uh, twitching when given electricity um, is based on actual experiments in 1771 by Italian physicist Luigi Galvani. Mm. Yes. So they science. Um, it's important, yes. kids. Listen to scientists because the adults aren't doing it right now. It's so important. <laughs> yes. And do know that if you ever do get the chance, you know, to get back into school in an actual classroom, when you are in high school, you will dissect some frog legs. And then if you decide to become a science major, you're gonna dissect everything <laughs> yes <laughs> so you know choose wisely mm -hmm. when you're thinking about <laughs> make good choices you know, yeah <laughs> if you don't want to dissect anything don't be a doctor oh gosh. or a scientist yeah you can do art like me oh man so many <laughs> so many preserved yeah body parts Ugh. and cadavers in college no thank you so many no, thank you. Hey, someone's got to do it. I know. Just not me. <laughs> <laughs> Just not me. <laughs> um, also, uh, when Victor goes to the pet cemetery to dig up Sparky, he throws some dirt onto a grave that's saying goodbye, kitty, which resembles the Hello Kitty logo. Oh, that's cute. I'm going to have to rewatch it and look for that. I know. I, I noticed that too. I was like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> um. And then, so while Tim Burton based the town of New Holland on a similar town in which he grew up outside of Burbank, California, Disney officially chose uh, New Holland, Pennsylvania as the town where the film takes place um, after the principal of New Holland Elementary School, um, also the name in the film, contacted Burton and the film producers um, about the fictional town's similarities to New Holland, uh, Disney representatives um brought uh, movie segments and promo promotional materials to the school just you know since they can since it's pretty much about their whole thing <laughs> um and you know and they also did uh, a little parade as part as their um they have a little fall festival and it's kind of in the movie they do the similar thing but they call it dutch day oh so it's kind of like basing everything off this town in pennsylvania Aww. well my last little tidbit um there's also uh, per Persephone, the, the poodle, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, she is named after the Greek goddess who was kidnapped uh, by and forcibly Hades. married to Hades, god of the underworld and lord of the dead. Interesting. Like Sparky having a crush on her. Yep. The lord of the dead dogs. <laughs> 
But that's Frankenweenie. I really liked it. It's a cute little film. It's cute. It's hard. Yeah. It's just... any, I'm any... telling you guys, you, if you have a job doing stop animation, I salute you. <laughs> oh, I just meant it was hard because the dog died. Oh, well, that too. <laughs> oh, yeah. We don't, we don't like animals dying I'm over sorry. here. Hey, but Sparky came back to life. So that's Sparky cool. Sparky did come back to life. We just told you the whole movie. So it's fine. You know, it's important. <laughs> All right. Um, well, the second one that I picked for this episode is The Addams Family. Yay! Um, I really liked this film, but I also kind of struggled with it because the casting choices were very difficult for me because I was I grew up watching the TV show. Me too. And I noticed I know I noticed amongst most horror fans. There's this Venn, kind of a Venn diagram. Hopefully our kid listeners know what that is. If not, you'll learn it whenever mm-hmm. you actually get to go back to school. Right. Exactly. There's this kind of Venn diagram <laughs> of Adam's family and Munster's fans. And there's this very small segment in the middle where they intersect. And there are very few people that are fans of both the Munsters and the Adams family. I personally am more of an Adams family fan than a Munsters fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up watching the original show and the casting choices were far different from the original cast f- that was featured in the TV series. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this film. It's a re- the little bit of backstory on the plot takes place. Obviously, we meet the Adamses and their children. We meet Morticia and um, Gomez Adams. And then we also meet... Pugsley and Wednesday, their children, plus you know, Grandmama, the the it's Morticia's mother in the series, oh, yep, uh, or, or in the movie, but n- not Morticia's mom in the series. So there's a little bit of a difference there. We meet Lurch, obviously, and the Thing, which is the hand and cousin <laughs> It, all of these little little creatures. So the Adamses are very well off. However, Gomez is very troubled because he is lamenting over missing his missing brother, Fester, who is played by Christopher Lloyd. I and so Christopher Lloyd's character as, as Fester, we find out is the son of a, a woman who's trying to get the Adams's fortune. So she conducts this elaborate scheme, realizing that they look Fester and her son look very similar. So they try to implant the imposter Fester in order to try to break into the Adams family vault, steal their riches and move on. So they end up forcibly removing the Adamses from their home, and it's discovered that Fester is an imposter, and they end up, the Adamses end up moving, and then in the very end, it turns out Fester is not an imposter, he's the real Fester, and <laughs> comes back to the family and so forth. That is a very incredibly truncated version of the plot, but... <laughs> watch it i don't want to take up too much time because i know this episode's already getting long oh (laughs) so so i want to take up too much time on the plot but a couple of fun facts that i actually didn't know about the film so for our parents you may find this interesting this film actually was very troubled during production it went over budget by five million dollars oh wow (laughs) yeah so that's a lot yeah and and I didn't realize that there was a change in production company while all of this was happening. So 
a ton of rewrites occurred during shooting health problems of many of the people involved in filming and an overall stressful filming environment caused a ton of delays so the rise in production costs and orion pictures who was the original company on the film was really afraid of another big budget flop because they were already struggling financially so they sold the film rights to paramount who completed it and handled all of the domestic distribution while columbia pictures distributed the film internationally Oh, okay. Yeah. So the film was actually a commercial success and it made back several times the production costs and actually spawned the sequel, Adam's Family Values, two years later, which I really didn't yeah. like. You didn't like the second no, one? No, I did not. Why? The the story was really lame. What about Debbie? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I almost spit out my water. <laughs> no sorry i i did not care for the remake the first one was already kind of a struggle i mean i i liked it but i i struggled with my internal but angelica houston is not carolyn jones true yeah but she didn't do a bad job no it just wasn't it wasn't carolyn jones right and that was my my tough part so uh tim burton actually passed on directing this one which i didn't know so director barry soddenfield took the job so Um, His first directing job after previously serving as the director of photography for several major films, and he experienced a ton of stress during filming. Like, I can imagine it's a fairly, you know, it's going to have a fairly wide release, and Mm -hmm. this is a big jump from director of photography to now you're in charge. It's a huge jump. That's a real big jump. Um, (laughs) So most of the film was shot at Hollywood Center Studios in L.A., out in our backyard here, um, which is the same studio where the original TV series was filmed. Oh, okay. And in the last three months of production, director of photography Owen Roisman quit and was replaced by somebody else. Um, And within just a few weeks after filming resumed, that person was rushed to the hospital. Oh, my God. Which halted production. No wonder they were $5 million over budget. Um, And then there were further delays when a blood vessel in Raul Julia, who plays Gomez Adams, may he rest in peace, love Raul Julia. Yeah. Um, A blood vessel in his eye burst. Oh, lovely. Yeah. So That sounds uh, real nice. Right? So production then started to film around him until he recovered, but then director barry soddenfield's wife got sick which halted production again so plagued with delays over budget production studio changes like lots and lots and lots of of stressful messy things so actually um angelica houston wrote in her 2014 memoir called watch me that the filming of the adams family was quote-unquote lard long and arduous um, and she d- it was decided that the character of Morticia should have eyes that slanted upwards at the sides, mm. which uh, Carolyn Jones didn't hurt. I mean, Carolyn Jones had wide open yeah. eyes. So that was an interesting, you know, character development change. Hmm. So in order to achieve that look, they would attach uh, makeup would attach an elastic strap to the back of her head with fabric tabs that were glued to her temples to pull her eye corners upwards. Drag queen move. Right. And then a second, (laughs) a second strap was added to balance the appearance of the lower part of her face with the upper. So somebody's basically stretching her face. And she had to have a migraine after that. Oh, terrible. So she actually had said, you know, this was 
horribly uncomfortable. And unless she removed the straps at at lunchtime, which she had to do, she would, to your point, she suffered severe headaches and rashes. Oh. Yeah. So awful, 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 awful. And she went through a second time of that? Uh-huh. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Not me. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Um, so after the movie premiered and it was a huge success, children actually would frequently recognize Raul Julia as Gomez Adams out in public, which, according to him, always brought a smile to his face. And he stated that Gomez Adams was by far his favorite role. Yeah. Oh, very sweet. I thought he did a good job. I did, too. I mean, again, so, so different from John Aston, yeah. who John Aston is actually the only surviving cast of cast member of the Adams family. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Actually, all of the adults, by the time the movie premiered, uh, John Aston was the only surviving adult cast member. Wow. Mm-hmm. He also outlived Raul Julia, who died in ninety-four. Right. Um, and then the actor who played his son Pugsley on the t- original 64 TV show mm-hmm. was named Kevin Weatherwax. He died in 2014. And John Aston's alive and he's 90 years old. Wow. Mm-hmm. What he, deal did he make? Right. <laughs> <laughs> he was in, um, and oh, not to like plug another movie, but if you have parents, if you have Disney Plus for your kids, John Aston actually has a cameo in the film Mr. Boogity, which is terrible, <laughs> but he's in it. <laughs> the name just cracks me up, though. Boogity boogie boo. <laughs> it's it's absurd. It, it's really wow. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> so, a couple of other fun things. And according to Angelica Houston, Christina Ritchie is actually the care the person that came up with Wednesday's sleeping pose with her arms folded across her chest. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yep. The exterior that was used for the Adams house was built for a hundred thousand dollars. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll have those guys come build my house. Yep. Uh, and the fun fact that I didn't realize, the name Wednesday is actually a reference to the line in the Mother Goose poem that goes, Wednesday's child is full of woe. Oh. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. That's Mm-mm. cool. Mm-mm. Very cool. I mean, she was definitely full of woe. Yes, she was indeed. <laughs> um, so let's talk about some of the quick character changes in, in from the 64 TV version to the... Uh, film that debuted so the in the 64 tv show fester was morticia's uncle and technically not an adams but in right. the movies he's gomez's brother mm-hmm. um and grandmama was gomez's mother and right. her name was eudora adams and in the movies she's morticia's mother and her name was changed to esmeralda frump yep mm-hmm. interesting i wonder why they Mm-hmm. Just curious. But there is some fun nostalgia. So there are several scenes that reference the Charles Adams illustrations, most notably the introductory scene in which the Adams family pours a cauldron of oil on the Christmas carolers. Um, <laughs> and then the little passenger on Gomez's toy train, um, the octopus that's painted on the footboard of Wednesday's bed, and Pugsley with the road sign. Fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so we were talking about... Um, when, when we're talking about the witches... Oh, yes. There were ca- some other potential characters that were set to potentially play the head witch. And two of those names 
were also on the list to play the role of Morticia. Really? Yes. So one of them was Cher. <laughs> hey, Cher, I, I would have been all about Cher as Morticia Adams. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I would have I would have watched it. I, I probably still would have watched it, but yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I feel just like, love Angelica Houston. Well, I feel like Cher would have been closer to the Carolyn Jones Morticia Adams as opposed okay. to Angelica Houston's Morticia Adams. That mm-hmm. was pretty different. But I feel like her acting was still kind of new. Angelica Houston? No, 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 no. Cher. Oh, Cher. I mean, Moonstruck, baby. Yeah, you know. Oscar, M- baby. Mermaids. Turn back time, baby. Um, and then the other name was olivia hussey oh yeah god they're competing a lot i know it's like all these all these gals with their (laughs) long straight dark hair competing for roles yeah wow interesting yeah and that is the adams family so fun fun movie lots of nostalgia um the some of the scenes are really great uh i love this scene when pugsley and wednesday are at the school play and they start the adamses are all in in attendance and they're so bored by Mm -hmm. all of the other talent so great yeah all all the other little (laughs) variety acts that are happening and then all of a sudden here come pugsley and wednesday fake lopping off each other's limbs with blood squirting everywhere <laughs> so great oh it's hilarious it's so funny <laughs> I, I i love in the the second one when they do the thanksgiving thing oh geez <laughs> it's just great the second one. Oh. watch them both yeah i only recommend I the first one <laughs> <laughs> well uh for my third movie um it was actually a request from uh mr liam christopher and it's casper yay i loved this movie me too so much fun as a kid yeah i mean and i've always liked the the cartoon itself again i was sort of a weird child (laughs) watching a ghost cartoon (laughs) um but anyway so casper came out in 1995 and it it was created by seymour uh reet and a joe oriolo i got that right <laughs> and it stars it stars christina ritchie bill pullman uh kathy uh Moriarty, eric idol uh, and a- amy brennan brennan <laughs> excuse me and also the voices uh casper uh was voiced by malachi pearson but then in the human form it was uh, uh devin sawa I had him on my wall too. I, I think I probably had him on my wall. <laughs> and then the voices of the the three uncles was voiced by uh, Joe Napote, Joe Alasky, and Brad Garrett. You can totally tell it's Brad Garrett oh, too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that that um, his voice is iconic. You can totally tell. Um, and this is Universal Pictures' first live action slash animated hybrid movie. So pretty cool. A lot of a lot of CGI. That was like around the time where you know it was getting everybody was doing the CGI thing because <laughs> there was let's see ninety five. What else was going on? 
<laughs> I mean, I, f- I feel like Jurassic Park. Yeah, I was going to say Jurassic Park. Ruined major it for every other film that's ever come out because you think about that movie coming mm-hmm. out in the early '90s and how advanced. Yeah. That the the CGI was so good. Yeah, it was really good. Still one of my favorites to watch, and go on the ride too at Universal Studios. <laughs> Um, but so Casper, when it came out, um, on May 26, 1995, it got mixed reviews. Um, you know, they said it had good visual effects and the score and performances, but it kind of, a lot of people criticized the, the dark story and the, the humor. I don't think the story was that dark. No. I mean. I mean, it's not as. I mean, yeah, he was a ghost boy and what happened to him was a little tragic. He got sick. Yeah. Sometimes it happens. But I mean, I don't think they portrayed that in a really dark way. No, it wasn't. I don't know. I think they were wrong. (laughs) But the film earned $287.9 million on a $55 million budget. So, not too bad. It's not too bad. Anyway, some fun facts. So, if people don't know the the backstory, um, basically, Casper... Uh, is a ghost of Casper McFadden, a boy who died of pneumonia at 12. Through some, uh, and through the comics, particularly in the 1960s, portrayed him as born a ghost to ghost parents. That's the original story. I don't think anybody's born a ghost. I mean... I mean, maybe. We won't get too dark, though. No. <laughs> We'll save that for a different episode. Yeah, we won't get too dark. We won't go there. Um, <laughs> but uh, some fun facts for the film. So during the film, Bill Pullman and Christina Ritchie had to talk to tennis balls in the place of the ghosts. And of course, the ghosts were added in a little bit later. And uh, James and Cat Harvey are named after Harvey Comics, the long publisher, the longtime publisher of Casper the Friendly Ghost. And if you haven't seen the comics, you should read some. They're really cool. They're adorable. If you can find them. If you can find them. Um, The town of Friendship, Maine is the name of a real village in uh, Midcoast, Maine, near Camden and Rockport, where scenes from the movie were filmed. Uh, The house that was used for Whipstaff Manor is also um, used to film scenes from the Backstreet Boys music video, Everybody, Backstreet's Back. Really? Yep. I mean, you got to notice the the ballroom dance sequence. Yeah, I guess now that I think about it. It's the same one. I hope that's your man on this season of Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> you know that's the only reason why I'm watching, right? I hope he makes it far enough to do that dance. I hope so, too. I'm waiting for it. Especially yeah, for, like, the Halloween episode. Yeah. Because that's always my favorite one. Yeah. He's doing pretty good. We'll see. I mean, it's only, what, the first episode that's passed now? Mm-hmm. I just, honestly, I'm only watching it for Carol Baskin. I think that's why everybody's watching it. I hope she doesn't get voted off first. I'm a little scared for her. <laughs> but just... it's, it's going to go one of two ways. Either people are going to vote to keep her in because they just want to watch the train wreck. Or right. everybody, she's, you know, the, the number one villain in the entire country. Well, maybe number two behind someone else, but I won't get into that. And then... <laughs> And everybody wants it gone. Oh, man. <laughs> so funny. I digress. Yes. <laughs> um, 
little bit more fun facts uh, for the scene where Casper drags Kat out of the window and takes her to the lighthouse by flying her. Um, Christina Ritchie had a piece of fishing line tied to her wrist to give the appearance of being pulled by a ghost. That had to hurt. Absolutely. Fishing line being pulled. I don't think so. <laughs> and a uh, fun fact, this is the second movie in which Christina Ritchie is the love interest of Devon Sawa. The other one is Now and Then, which also came out in 95. I remember that. They should have just been together. <laughs> they were in so many movies together. Right? <laughs> um, the live action sequel was proposed and they actually had a script uh, drafted. But when uh, production wrapped, um, unfortunately, Christina Ritchie and Bill, Bill Pullman were attached to other projects, so they would not be able to come back so instead the producers uh decided to produce a cartoon series uh instead with uh the spooktacular new adventures of casper that came out in 96 Ooh, yeah i realized i just had that twice <laughs> must have been really important for me to talk about <laughs> um after the film's release, Christina Ritchie disliked the movie and claimed, in quotations, doing my little air quotes, looking back, that movie sucked. Aww. <laughs> it made no sense. I'm supposed to fall in love with a ghost? How does this work? And he's like a cartoon. Well, part of him. <laughs> End quotation. <laughs> 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 but more recently she later claimed that she wanted to move from children's films you know as she got older and that was like probably one of the more reasons why uh casper 2 did not happen oh no it did happen it, it oh was but the, it wasn't the, with her no it was with baby hillary dove that's right <laughs> <laughs> i forgot it, <laughs> there was a casper 2 it just why wasn't with not her take a crazy chance one not film Casper two. <laughs> uh, in the scene where Kerrigan and Dibbs first arrive at Whipstaff Manor, the line "What a dumped!" Ex- exclaimed by Kerrigan was improvised by Kathy Moriarty on the spot, but it kind of served as a uh, inadvertent reference to Betty Davis's famous line from the film "Beyond the Forest." I love Betty Davis. Me too. Uh, Interesting fact. So, Rick Moranis was considered for the role of Dr. James Harvey. Nope. (laughs) Nope. I can't see him in anything else other than Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Is Uh, that bad? Other than Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, and Little Shop of Horrors. And uh, what was the other one? Ghostbusters. Oh, that's right. But I mean, well, I guess I just didn't pay. Are you the key master? (laughs) Um, Some other little fun uh celebrities that were kind of in there um so dan Aykroyd uh makes an appearance as dr raymond stands <laughs> from ghostbusters i love this and he pretty much runs out of the house frantically and says like who are you gonna call someone, someone else, else. <laughs> best part of the movie <laughs> i love that also um uh don uh, novello he came in as father guido serducci uh and that's like character from saturday night live Young kids are not going to know this, but the he came in as the Catholic priest hired by uh, Kerrigan to kind of perform an exorcism on the mansion, and that obviously did not work either. Um, but some fun things: uh, 
Bill Pullman's character, he turns into uh, Mel Gibson when he's possessed by the ghostly trio. But also, another fun little, last little fun fact, Casper is an ancient uh, Semitic word for treasure. Really? And Casper is the unknowing guardian of his father's Lazarus machine and a treasure hidden within Whipstaff, which turns out to be a gift from his father. Aww. Yeah. So, a little fun. Casper is a fun movie. I think everybody should watch it. It I is. I don't know about the second one, but... <laughs> I never saw the second I, one. I never saw it either. I didn't bother. Yeah, it's okay. I was busy. I'm good. Doing other things. But not fun times. It. Thank you for the suggestion, Liam. Yeah, thank you, Liam. Um, well, the last one that I picked is also a stop motion film. Yay. It is Coraline. Oh, I love Coraline. Me too. So Coraline is the story of a little gal named Coraline Jones. Um, and the, her story actually is a is based on the 2002 novella of the same name by Neil Gaiman, who Neil Gaiman is my most favorite author of all time, Amazing. hands down, forever and I'm ever really glad you introduced me to him. Oh my gosh, the best. Parents, read Ocean at the End of the Lane. It's phenomenal. Um, and he's had a couple of other films that have been, or books that have been turned into films, uh, most notably the movie Stardust, for those that, ha- that saw that. So the story of Coraline Jones is she's a little girl whose family moves to a house that is divided into little flats with three different levels. And she has some very eccentric neighbors that she meets and goes on little adventures and journeys. But uh, most notably, she discovers a walled up door that leads to a quote unquote other world. So in this other world, when she's discontent with her current life, she goes to the other world where she has other parents known as the other mother and other father. And her little playmate, actually, who is named YB Lovett, who is not in the book, he's just in the movie, uh, meets all these characters and they do everything that she wants. YB talks to her too much in real life. So in the other world, he doesn't talk at all. Um, Mom cooks all the time and is super happy and interested in what Coraline's doing. Dad is super animated and a musician and a gardener and all all these fun things. She goes on all these little adventures, um, but things start to get a little more sinister. And the other mother tells her that she can stay there forever if she agrees to sew buttons on her eyes. So, she obviously declines, goes back, but the other mother has actually abducted her parents and Coraline ends up having to be very clever and play a game to outwit the other mother and get her parents back. And in the end, she does. And she mm. ends up freeing the ghost children that the other mother has trapped in the other world in the very end as well. Yay. So super cute movie. Um a little different from the book understandably so everything's different from the book um but it they actually did a pretty good job adapting it to real life as a stop motion film so some fun facts about this movie as i mentioned why we love it is not in the neil gaiman book but in the book Coraline actually talks to herself a lot so the filmmakers thought, well, we'll just give her a little friend that's her own age. So she's not just walking around talking to herself. All right. The time, which is real interesting. So there were 
Over 130 sets built across 52 different stages at the studios that spanned over 183,000 square feet. Oh, my gosh. Uh, The 52 stages were the most ever deployed for a stop motion animated feature. That's a lot. I don't know if anybody knows how how big sound stages are, but 52 of them. That's a lot. 130 sets, 183,000 square feet. Loads. So there were 24 different puppets of Coraline used when they made the movie, and each one took 10 individuals and three to four months to construct. And this is also the first stop motion animated feature to be shot entirely in 3D. Wow. Yeah. And it took, it was shot over the course of 18 months with, which followed two years of pre-production with building the sets, constructing all the models and so forth. So... That's a lot of work. That is. Kids, that's what I'm that's, saying. People who do stop motion, seriously. Yeah. I don't know how you do it. No, that's <laughs> essentially between pre-production and filming, it's three and a half years. Oh my gosh. To ma- just to make everything and then film it. That's so crazy. crazy. And the film's only an hour and 40 minutes long. And it was actually the longest stop motion film until Kubo and the Two Strings was released in 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, so initially it was going to be live action and dakota fanning was casted to physically portray Coraline. so then when it was decided to instead turn it into a stop motion animated film they asked uh, little miss fanning if she would still be interested in providing the voice and she said yes oh nice yeah so um mr babinski who is the russian a uh, gentleman that lives in the very upstairs part of the <laughs> flat um who's like so incredibly funny yeah i, lo- I love that's him. a great character mm-hmm. so he's actually wearing uh and i never noticed this but i went back and rewatched it before we shot we shot this episode no that's not true before we recorded this episode <laughs> um i went back and rewatched it again so he's wearing a little russian hero medal for service at the Ch- chernobyl nuclear disaster site um on april 26th of 1986 kids you're hopefully too young and impressionable to learn about what happened at chernobyl parents you can explain that at a later date uh and so it it reads the little metal reads participant in the cleanup campaign and the (laughs) yeah i didn't Um, notice that (laughs) yeah so um then the metal's unique as it's the only metal awarded in the world for participation in a nuclear cleanup. So that kind of explains his skin complexion and odd behavior. That's great. Yeah. Isn't it? That's, I, lo- I love the little, the little gems that just get thrown in places. So little, little fun tidbits. The face on the dollar bill that's given to one of the movers for a tip is the, is the face of the director, Henry Selick. Oh. And the Ranf Brothers moving company that's on the truck and that helps Coraline and their family move into their new home are based on the real life brothers, Jerome Ramped and Joe Ramped. And both brothers did work on The Nightmare Before Christmas with Henry Selick. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so the leaves scene where Coraline's returning to the well um, were created like so toward the end when she fights the other mother and then she has to go back to the well mm-hmm. and throw the hand down it and then put the cover on it um so that little scene was actually filmed by spraying popcorn pink and cutting it up into little pieces oh mm-hmm. 
And at one point in the movie, Coraline shows 16 different expressions in a span of 35 seconds. You know how much like molding and modularing and modulating? I'm, I'm and... trying to think about it and it's hurting my head. Oh yeah, that's a ton. So <laughs> I appreciate this fact. And I know that our dear friend of the podcast, Courtney, will appreciate this because she is an avid knitter of a couple of decades and she's brilliant and she's won blue ribbons yes. in the fair consistently. Um, so, and Courtney taught me how to knit bless her heart because I'm unteachable. Um, <laughs> You're doing amazing. <laughs> I dabble. Um, so one crew member was hired very specifically to knit miniature sweaters and other clothing for the puppet characters. That would have been the perfect job for Courtney. Oh, she would have gone hog wild on this one. Um, <laughs> and some of the needles that they had to use were almost as thin as human hair. Nope. So for those of you that are knitters, you all, you know that depending on what your project is, you have needles of varying size and thickness. So obviously, like I'm working on a sweater right now that actually requires two different sizes of needles for the various parts. And they're both very small because it's a sweater and they're supposed to be much tighter so that you don't obviously see everything underneath. Um, but the fact that those were so tiny as thin as hair yeah courtney like, would have 100 percent signed up for that like how does that I'm, i'd like to see this i action. don't know man this there's gotta be like extras on the blu-ray or something that shows this you know i have it i should watch and find out yes i'm i'm curious to see what these mm -hmm. needles look like <laughs> crazy town um so for the initial recording session there were two gals that were casted to play the, um the downstairs neighbors of Miss Spink and uh, Miss Forcible. So Don French originally was signed on to play Miss Spink and Jennifer Saunders was supposed to play Miss Forcible. However, after they were screen tested, director Henry Selleck had them flip roles. Which, fun fact, for the Golden Girls, the same thing happened. Rue McClanahan was originally supposed to play Rose and Betty White was supposed to play Blanche. But oh. then after the screen test, they flipped them. Ah. I couldn't imagine them in the other roles. No. They I were so either. perfect as yeah. they were. Yep. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and then all of the interesting thing, and I um I didn't even catch this until I rewatched it. So all of the scenes in the other mother's world take place at night, even when Coraline visits during the day. Oh. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why I gotta watch it again. Yeah. All these new facts mm -hmm. that I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. And during the production, uh, Leica Studios, who actually produced and created the film, had students from the Art Institute of Portland help with the film in terms of the sets and designs. It's a great way to uh, finish up everything that you need to in order to graduate from art school. Yep. If you have prerequisites. And uh, fun fact, not mentioned by name in the movie, uh, the setting is for the film is actually Ashland, Oregon. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I was, was going to say, they didn't say that, did they? No, they never do. But that is Coraline. Yay. I think I'll have to watch that as put on my Halloween list. I have the I, DVD. I'll just I lend it to you. Yeah, I was like, I haven't seen it in a while, so. Oh, it's so good. I it love is. it. I really liked seeing it, so. Mm-hmm. Yay. Okay. Well, that concludes our episode we're probably gonna do i think we're gonna do another right one more yep we got one more but some more. with with the the big names right yes 
<laughs> the ones that that really really you need to watch during halloween and if you if you don't watch them during halloween or just in general then we're, we're gonna make you watch them yes especially after the episode yes <laughs> but uh please uh we'd love to hear from you Yes. So please email us at thesquaggles at gmail.com. And also uh, subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. And like us on Instagram and Facebook. And review us. Yes, we're running a contest. So please rate and review us. And then on October 4th, we are going to go live on Instagram and Facebook and choose a name for a special prize. Yay! So please, we want to hear from you. So another way to make us hear from you is to give you stuff. I didn't know another way to say that, so. It was funny. And oh, one last shout out to Mr. Liam Christopher. Thank you so much for recommending movies for yes, us. Thank we you. Didn't cover all of your suggestions in this episode, but we promise that we're going to cover the last ones that you mentioned in our final episode that's going to air a little closer to Halloween. Yes. So, thank you, Mr. Liam Christopher. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Creep it real. And we'll scare you later. Bye. Bye.